Coming up on the pod, we will talk the Super Bowl matchup being set after some big conference championship numbers, the NHL All-Star Game heads to the sixth, and the strength of women's college basketball as March Madness quickly approaches. Plus, much more. And there it is! The 49ers are going to the Super Bowl! Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast from the New York Post and Sports Business Journal. I'm Austin Karpt. As mentioned, we have a slightly different name, but we will still bring you the latest in sports media. And we're going to start by bringing in SBJ's Ben Fisher to talk all things Super Bowl, NFL playoffs from a media perspective. Ben, thanks for joining us. Let's start with a who's up, who's down. Who's up, who's down. Ben, who do you got on the up? Thanks, Austin. Um, on the up, you know, maybe it's a little obvious, but CBS Sports Chairman Sean McManus. CBS just posted a crazy number for the AFC Championship game. Highest ever, is that right? Or Yeah, best AFC title game on record. Best AFC title game on record. There's every reason to believe the Super Bowl has got to do another huge number. And look, when I was trying to think of a good one for this week, I hesitated because this seems a little obvious. Big deal, big surprise. People like the NFL, right? But it's not entirely obvious it's not at all self-evident that you can continue to get these year-over-year growth numbers um you know there's been a major line of thinking around the nfl over the last few years that one of their biggest strategic challenges is that the united states is close to tapped out Uh, you know everyone who ever was going to watch a football game is already watching a football game and that's something people in the nfl worry about is that where do you get that next incremental growth well it turns out there's still room to grow um you know maybe there's some young fans of Taylor Swift who are paying attention to the league and the league never really thought those folks were particularly in play. Anyway, it's continuing up and to the right for the league. And right now CBS sports is benefiting from that the most big caveat here. I think McManus does have a bit of a Tony Romo problem. Is Tony been as bad as some of the pylon on Twitter suggests, um, you know, maybe not. That's a little hyperbolic, but it is officially a thing. Even your most charitable viewer is noticing that something's off with Tony and, uh, you know, is it the end of the world? No, but, you know, it's a it's a big issue that that's who's got the Super Bowl this year, considering, uh, you know, especially how great Greg Olson has been on Fox and, you know, Troy Aikman, such as stalwart on ESPN. Yeah, I think the whole Nance Romo thing is going to be a storyline over these next two weeks going into the Super Bowl. You got to figure they're going to practice a little bit, but it's been a couple of years now. You want to see the chemistry develop better. You don't want to see it get get worse. And it feels like that it has gotten worse. But, yeah. Big numbers for CBS. You know, I think it was the first time that the AFC title game has drawn back-to-back years of 50 million viewers plus since 1981-1982. So harkening way back, and you got the afternoon prime time switch every other year. So really strong numbers for them that they're delivering. My up is going to be Fox. Also a really strong number there for 49ers and Lions in primetime. This script could have been flipped. CBS could have been higher if the 49ers had not started to come back there in the third quarter, put up those 17 points in the third quarter. If that game's not close, I think viewers start to tune out, maybe start to go to Netflix, watch something else. But they kept it close. Both games were great. Both games north north of 55 million viewers. I'm giving up to Fox because I think they're in a good spot with their number one booth. Even with that being the last game that Olsen is going to be the number one you know, analyst and you have Tom Brady coming in next year, we think. We think he's coming in. I still think he's going to come in and do it. It's good to have Olsen in the fold. He'll be the number two. The only thing in his contract, you know, according to sources, is that if a number one job opens up out there, 
I don't necessarily see that happening in the offseason. Could it happen? Yeah, stranger things have happened. But I think Fox, heading into next season, is in an incredibly good spot. You have Brady in the number one role, and you have somebody really talented like Greg Olson. They have developed him since he was a player into a really strong analyst who could easily come into that number one spot if Tom Brady all of a sudden says, all right, this is just not what I want to do. So, Ben, who's your down? Who's down is the NFL's top lawyer, Jeff Pash. Um, Almost nine years ago, some lawyers filed a class action antitrust lawsuit challenging the legality of the Sunday ticket distribution deal that we all know and tolerate, if not love. Pash and an army of outside lawyers have been working on getting that case thrown out, but uh, they have not succeeded so far, and that's now set for a June trial. Um, This is a big-time lawsuit. It could cost the NFL $6 billion and create a really interesting precedent when it comes to the uh, possible future of leagues uh, bundling all of their teams out of market rights and then selling them in an exclusive package. I mean, that could be really sideways, depending on how this case goes. You know, honestly, this could be good for fans. This could hasten the path towards some single game packages being available in out of market deals um, and other ways. But, um, you know, it's hard to predict. And in any way, this is a colossal legal challenge for the NFL that, um, you know, didn't seem like it was ever going to get to this point for a long time. But now we're set for a June trial and they've got to figure out whether they're going to settle or fight it to the end. My down is going to be Usher because, yes, while people are going to talk about the Nance-Romo dynamic over the next two weeks, what are they really going to be talking about? Is Taylor Swift going to be attending the Super Bowl? And when you're the Super Bowl halftime performer and you're not even the most talked about entertainer who could potentially be in the building... (laughs) I just kind of see it as a loss for Usher. Great performer. I'm sure he's going to put on a fantastic show. But I think it just really kind of sucks for him that you're not going to have all the hype around what you are going to be doing at the halftime show. Kind of overshadowed by Taylor Swift and all the talk. Like, is she going to go? Is she going to fly back from her show in Tokyo in time to be at the Super Bowl? All right, we've done our who's up, who's down, Ben. But that's not all we have to say on NFL and NFL media. First, we got the Pro Bowl coming up this weekend. It's the second year where they've had kind of a split. You have that Thursday night skills competition. Then you have that flag football game over the weekend. How do you think that that is developing as a different property from what the Pro Bowl was in prior years? It's hard for me to read what the NFL thinks of the um, of the Pro Bowl, honestly, in this new era, because you know I think the numbers were forget what the ratings were, but you know it's clear from what they're doing that the TV ratings aren't even really the point. Um, you know, look, TV advertisements still still pay the bills, and I don't mean to say that they're not watching that closely. But with tug of war and dodgeball and flag, you know, they're they're looking for vibes, they're looking for social media hits, and um, you know, Gen Z and younger seeing the players with uh, with with their helmets off and doing fun stuff. It's a cultural event, and I don't think it's fair to view it through the lens of a traditional TV ratings number. Although somehow it'll still do pretty well because it's the NFL, and they're they're almost they're. <laughs> to be just a little glib, they're almost literally thinking, what will people still watch? I mean, for years, the joke was like, this isn't even really a game, but the Pro Bowl was still by far the most watched all-star game of any league out there. So yeah, the switch to what they're doing now, still going to draw an incredibly strong audience. I totally agree with you that it's going to deliver digestible clips for social media, you know, a Things like tug of war, like you said, like the flag football, letting the players show their personality. And most importantly, they're showing their personality without a helmet on. That's one of the biggest complaints that you hear about the NFL is you don't really get to see them and see their reactions. 
uh, like you do with NBA players or players who aren't wearing helmets during their you know day-to-day games. So I do think it's a good idea. I think ESPN is going to continue to see a strong number. I like that they put it on Disney XD, get a little bit of that younger audience, you know, kind of like that Toy Story type of game, really trying to go after a young demo there, get them to be NFL fans. I, I like the development. You know, I think that uh, this is a good illustration of the NFL's unique strength. Um, because of how dominant they are, they can afford to experiment a little bit. And their job isn't necessarily to just always press the traditional levers down for the biggest number they can possibly get in a Nielsen environment. When you've got this massive property that overlays the entire American culture leading up to the Super Bowl, you can do some A-B testing. You know, say, does, does an AFC versus NFC tug-of-war match somehow find some new vein of social media that we weren't previously reaching? Uh, you know, what do the Manning brothers bring to the game as uh, the hosts that, you know, your traditional losing side of the conference championship game wouldn't, you know, from from the from the coaching standpoint. And it allows them to experiment and just kind of like see who else they can drag into the NFL world. It, the numbers don't feel the same. It's it's more of an almost a niche marketing play, which is strange to see out of the NFL, which is the biggest thing in the world from a sports entertainment standpoint. Uh, but it, it's really interesting to watch. It's kind of hard to put your finger on it exactly what's a success and what's a failure. But they've got numbers. They've got people watching it every year. And we'll see what becomes a permanent part of this new Pro Bowl games environment and what doesn't. Ben, you're also headed out to Vegas for the lo- for the Super Bowl next week. Obviously, Roger Goodell's annual presser is a little early in the week. I think it's on Monday this year. What do you think about moving that to the beginning of the week? Well, the leagues insist that, you know, the people who are covering the game are generally there by then anyway for the Monday night um, media night, the opening night, whatever you want to call it. Um, that may be true, but the simple fact is everyone who's ever been to the Super Bowl understands that the earlier in the week you go, the fewer people that are there. Um, you know, the party scene, the hospitality and corporate event scene doesn't really start to hit critical mass till Thursday afternoon into the weekend. By doing it Monday, there will be fewer people there asking fewer and less diverse questions of Roger Goodell. And, you know, if the league doesn't want Roger Goodell to face the media, then that's their prerogative. This isn't the State of the Union. He's not the president or a mayor. He's not obligated to appear in public. But they're going to do it in a way that just ensures it's a little bit less useful than it has been in the past. I'll be there, but there will be people who would normally be there and ask him questions and hold him accountable who won't be because of this uh under discussed move from Wednesday to Monday. Do you think opening night of the Super Bowl still has the same appeal that it had in prior years? I feel like the opening night is something that maybe, maybe it's, I don't, I mean, played out as a strong word because it's still like a great place to gather content. Somebody from some team will say something interesting about the game, but you know, this, this whole, it feels like something that was a lot more exciting in 2013. You know, it just sort of feels like we're a little bit over this. It still serves a purpose for the reporters and the players. But, you know, the the, the gag questions, kind of the, the sideshow element to it, I, I find myself rolling my eyes at that sort of thing more and more. It's not to say it's not perfectly legitimate use of everybody's time. It just doesn't have the same energy to it that I, I feel like it did five, five to 10 or 15 years ago. Well, I do like the new position in the recent years that they've done with the NFL Honor Show, really making that into a primetime program on broadcast TV. So I, I think that the audience has been strong for that. I do like what the league has done in developing that as, you know, kind of a bigger event, making a bigger deal out of it. Um, something, you know, I'm going to watch for the numbers again, see if it continues to perform. But 
Ben Fisher, our NFL writer. Check him out on social media. Ben, good luck in Las Vegas, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Austin. Anytime. We'll uh, say hi to you from Vegas. The NFL isn't the only game in town, though. Big weekend for the NHL. Takes its all-star game back north of the border to Toronto. Alex Silverman, our hockey writer, is going to be on site. We're bringing him in now to talk about some of the big media issues facing the league. Alex, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Austin. You know, I want to start with national viewership here, you know, domestically in the U.S., TNT, ESPN, seeing some pretty, up, pretty big upticks, you know, through the first half of the season. What can you attribute some of those gains to? Well, they got such a hot start with the arrival of Connor Bedard to the Chicago Blackhawks. For those who don't know, he is the most highly touted prospect to come into the league since Connor McDavid back in 2015. And the interest in watching him, uh, not just from the Chicago market, but nationally, was definitely there. The uh, debut game for him was the most watched regular season NHL game in the history of ESPN. Uh, so they got they got off to a hot start there, and his second game was on TNT nationally and also did close to a million total viewers. So they got off to a really hot start and that's kind of propelled them. They've, the league has also seen really good performances, again, from the Bruins, which is a, a big and hockey rabid market in Boston. And uh, the Rangers are uh, having a great year. And, and that's always good to have the New York market and they you know draw eyeballs from around the league. So between Bedard and those big markets, uh, the, the league is in a good place. The game, uh, just like it has been over the past few years, is really strong. Teams are averaging over three goals a game, so high scoring, and uh, that always makes things more interesting. How much is the league going to miss not having Connor Bedard playing in the All-Star game this weekend? Yeah, it's really unfortunate. It's, it's kind of palpable uh, around the league, the fact that they're not going to be able to show him off. There, there's some disappointment there. But uh, in terms of viewership, I'm not sure how much of a difference it'll make. Uh, so far, since Bedard has uh, gone out with an injury. There's only been one national game uh, on TNT. The Blackhawks schedule uh, in terms of national TV was, was sort of front loaded. So they're not gonna bear the brunt of it in terms of viewership quite uh, as much as they would if it was uh, more evenly distributed. But I know the Blackhawks are, are hoping to have him back you know, well before the end of the season. So they should be able to get at least you know, one or two more national TV appearances out of Bedard. No, I'm sure Gary Bettman wants him back, and if there's flex schedule built in for either TNT or ESPN, ABC, I'm sure you're going to see some Connor Bedard Blackhawks worked in here in the back half of the season. But like you said, I'm sure it would have been some sort of uptick to the NHL All-Star number. I think last year was around 1.5 million, not a record low by any chance. But this game hasn't drawn above 2 million since I think 2018. So you really want to develop that sort of star power to see if you can really up that number. It's not going to be what the MLB All-Star Game is. It's not going to be what the Pro Bowl is. It's not going to be what the NBA All-Star Game is. But if you can get faces and get names that people recognize, I think the NHL would love that. Hopefully he's back next year. Alex, speaking of the All-Star Game, the NHL has kind of implemented a new format this year for the telecast along with ABC ESPN. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement among hardcore hockey fans. And I think that there's a lot of hope in NHL offices that some of these changes will bring in some casual fans as well. They're bringing back their player draft for the first time since 2015. And this year they're incorporating celebrity captains for each team. So Justin Bieber is, is the biggest name. He'll be there uh, with 
teaming up with his real-life good friend Austin Matthews from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Also, Michael Buble, uh, Will Arnett, and up-and-coming up pop star Tate McRae are other celebrity captains. So those folks uh, all have their own followings and, and could potentially bring in some interest on the player draft, which is on Thursday night. That's an added night. They've extended All-Star Weekend from two nights to three. And then the skills competition has gotten really stale the last few years. Uh, the canned skits and pre-recorded events out in different locations have not gone over particularly well and have, have made that tough to watch. But they've really done a overhaul of the skills competition. They're doing a sort of decathlon-style format with, with 12 players who are competing as individuals through all the events for a million dollars. That, I think, is going to be really exciting. And I know in hockey circles, that's sort of the night of the weekend that everybody's really looking forward to. I mean, you talk about the four stuff in recent years. I remember watching that uh, targeting competition that they were doing in the fountains of the Bellagio, and I remember watching it just feeling like, yeah, maybe a little forced. So I am curious to see if the skills competition is well-received by fans, well-received by audiences. I mean, you see it a lot, especially on the baseball side, the home run derby, catching up to the actual all-star game number, re getting really close in recent years. And you're also watching it on the basketball side to see if NBA Saturday night matches what the all-star game is able to draw. So can the NHL and ABC ESPN do something similar with the NHL? I'll be watching to see how the numbers perform. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Austin, but I really don't think there's a lot of competition for the all-star game itself at, at 3 p.m. On, on Saturday. So they, they have a good opportunity there, I think. No, it's, you're right. It's, it's a good window for them. There'll be some college basketball, but the Pro Bowl isn't until Sunday. I, I think it continues to be a good window that the NHL chooses to have the all-star game. Switching from national to local, Alex, you know, talk to us about who is performing well on their RSN side. Like, I think Connor Bedard has re did really help the Blackhawks on that front. Yeah, absolutely. Blackhawks on NBC Sports Chicago up 39%. Uh, you know, fantastic number. The team has been struggling for the last number of years and are still, you know, in the bottom of the league. So for them to have such a nice uptick just based on the arrival of, of one player is, is a huge coup for them. As far as teams that, uh, you know, are, are underperforming, the Bruins are still really good. They had a historic regular season last year and flamed out in the first round of the playoffs. And I'm going to try and go somewhere that I love to go in the psyche of the, the New England sports fan. <laughs> they might just not be that interested in the regular season with this team, given how good the regular season was and how little it ultimately meant for them at the end of the day. So they're down 17% on Nesson. Another factor there could be the potentially, you know, they introduced a direct-to-consumer service and those numbers aren't factored into to these numbers. So some people might have, you know, switched over to from linear to direct-to-consumer having had the option there. I mean, looking across the landscape, what's been maybe the biggest surprise for you on the RSN side of things? Uh, I think Vegas, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise, but just seeing how significant of an impact their move from their cable RSN, AT&T Sports, which shut down at the end of last year, uh, to their broad, over-the-air broadcast deal with Scripps, uh, seeing how much of an impact that made has, has been a surprise. They're, they're up over 30% year over year. Big number. And, you know, when, when I was talking to Kerry Bubolds, the president of the Golden Knights prior to the season, he mentioned to me that only 35% of homes in the Vegas market were able to access the, the games on AT&T Sportsnet. Uh, over the air, they have a lot more penetration, and 
the team's still playing well and, and people uh, who previously weren't able to tune in appear to be tuning in now that they uh, can access it. I mean, access out in some of those Rocky Mountain markets continues to be an issue, especially with altitude. I mean, that's been an ongoing story over the last couple of years in Avalanche games. You just can't watch it. And if you can't watch it, then you're not developing fandom for a lot of these teams. So, yes, to see that sort of increase, to see the access that Golden Knights fans have to get those games, the ease of access, I think is an incredible win for the Golden Knights. Alex Silverman, our NHL writer, he's going to be up in Toronto for the All-Star game. Good luck. Stay warm. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks, Austin. It wouldn't be a sports media podcast without a Carps Corner. So some things I want to talk about with regard to viewership out there. First, the Australian Open men's final. It was the first time this year since 2005 that either Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, or Roger Federer weren't in the final for the first major of the year. So Yannick Sinner, five-set win over Daniil Medvedev. The audience did not track over half a million viewers. It was around 476 or so, but still up from what I thought was almost a record low last year for one of Djokovic's three-set matches. Why is this important, even though it was a 3.30 a.m. start? You want to see if some of those bigger tennis names, the younger ones, can develop as we get into this era without Joker, without Nadal, without Federer, who's going to emerge? And I think that was one of the biggest things that both the ATP and the WTA wanted when they greenlit the series that they have on Netflix, you know, the behind the scenes, showing some of these younger tennis players who can rise up, who's going to attract the eyeballs. And I think this was one of our first looks at who could potentially move the needle. You want to see, you know, on maybe more East Coast friendly time, once we get to Wimbledon and French Open, and particularly the U.S. Open, what kind of eyeballs might tune in for a final without some of these bigger names? And also on the women's side, without Serena and Venus out there, who can potentially draw more eyeballs? Next, you know, there was a New York Post piece that kind of piqued my interest by Brian Costello, kind of talking about the Taylor Swift effect, you know, being about more than football. We're talking about fathers watching football with their daughters. And that's a completely, potentially new audience, an untapped audience for the NFL. And it's something that they've really looked at growing over the last number of years, you know, across the female demographics. They've really invested in uh, flag football and female flag football in particular. And if Taylor Swift has shown anything is that there is a potential audience out there of young girls who are could come in and watch football. I think if you, if you ask me, the NFL definitely needs Taylor Swift more than Taylor Swift needs the NFL, but I think there could be a really strong relationship there if Taylor Swift was, I think she's being exposed to the how much passion there is around the NFL and around football fans. So I would, I would look to see if the NFL could continue and tap into what she brings to a TV audience. You know, sticking with female viewership, Female college basketball this season has been incredibly strong. You saw that this past Thursday. South Carolina taking on LSU was a close game on ESPN. Drew a really strong number. I think it was ESPN's third best regular season women's college basketball game on record. Across any network, the second best, I think, since 2010. And ESPN really gave a lot of attention to this game. It was all over ESPN.com and all over their site. They really built it up as an event. And the audience was around 1.6 million viewers in there. That topped both NBA games on TNT that night, showing that there is an audience, even during the regular season, for these types of games. 
and you're also seeing networks get really creative in where they put some of these women's college basketball games. That best game since 2010, that was also just a few days ago when NBC had an Iowa game with Caitlin Clark leading into one of their wildcard matches, one of their NFL wildcard games, and that drew a really strong number. The Iowa game, the best one this season. Uh, I think Caitlin Clark is responsible now for two of the five best games this season, and I think it all portends well for what ESPN is going to be able to draw for March Madness later this season, especially on the women's side. That's our show for today. I want to thank Ben Fisher and Alex Silverman for coming on and chatting. I also want to give a big shout out to Andrew Marchand and John Aran for really laying the foundation for this podcast. We're going to continue to do the program, going to continue to bring the latest in sports media. also want to thank all of our production crew, Chris Mason, AC Wyatt, Reggie Walker, and thank you. We'll see you next week.